Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 134, going home after your first semester in college. You've just experienced your first semester or your first year in college, and it was eye-opening. Now you're going home, back to the way things were, while you have a new changing understanding of the world. How are you going to cope with this? Be prepared for your parents not to cope well with the changes you've made, whether that's what you want to study, what your major is, who you're dating, what your politics have become, what your views of the world are. They may have changed how you see the world because of what you've learned and because of who you've talked to. But your parents weren't there for that information, and they weren't there for those conversations. They weren't there for those classes where you suddenly realized, oh, this way I've always thought about the world is actually completely incorrect, or this thing I always thought was true turned out not to be supported by any evidence. Your parents don't know where you're coming from when you come back from school because mentally you're a fixed age in their minds. Okay, to them, you're still that fresh-faced kid that they dropped off in August. And when you come back in December for winter break, or maybe you didn't spend winter break at home, maybe you spent that abroad or whatever, right? And then you come back for the summer break and they expect you to still be the kid that just graduated from high school. But that's not who you are anymore. And that means that can create some problems when you finally come home after your first semester or your first year in college. That said, there are some good things about being at home. You might have better Wi-Fi at home than you had in the dorms. I went to school as an undergrad in the era of LimeWire and Kazaa to age myself. The era where you would potentially risk infecting your computer with lots of viruses for awkwardly named MP3 and or movie files with really, really slow internet. How slow? We would be told that it would take potentially hours to download one or two songs. Now, that was a long time ago. The internet's certainly gotten a lot faster today. But at home, you're not sharing the internet connection. You're not sharing your Wi-Fi with hundreds or thousands of people. You're sharing it with whoever's at home. And that may keep your Wi-Fi a little bit faster than if you're living in the dorms. And that's always a nice thing. Another thing that's good about being home is you have been hankering for your mom's version of grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup. Or you have really, really missed your dad's lasagna. And... The substitutes that happen with, you know, the the campus dorm food program or what's available on campus, it just doesn't cut it. It's not comfort food. It's not what you wanted. And so now that you're home, you can have all the food that you didn't get in the dorms. You can have all the food that you couldn't make when you were living in a dorm room with a tiny little kitchenette, right? And I know that this sounds like a really trite, you know, thing to look forward to, but the fact is... We like our creature comforts, and many of us may really miss the way that our older sister made spaghetti. 
you know, and now that we get to be home and, and big sister is making spaghetti for dinner and you're just sitting there going like, yes, this is not going to be dormitory spaghetti. This is not going to be food plant spaghetti. This is not going to be, you know, the place around the corner that used a bunch of different spices that my sister would never use spaghetti. This is going to be the real thing, the thing I grew up with. And that right there can be a good thing about being home. When you're home, you find out that you can choose which of your friends you want to spend time with. Some of your friends, we'll talk about this more later, some of your friends may have drifted away because you're focused on very different goals in life. But when you're home, you get to choose who you want to spend your time with. And you're going to keep some of your friends from high school and from earlier in your childhood around. Just because you've made new friends doesn't mean all your old friends go by the wayside. This means you've got a wider pool of people that you can choose to spend your time and your energy with. And those are two things we never get back. Now, those are the good things about being home. And Denor and I, you know, we did our research like we always do. So we looked at blogs and we looked at magazine articles and other things where people talked about, you know, going home after being away, you know, or being at school for the first semester or for the first year. What's different? What's changed? And these are some of the things that those writers mentioned as these are things you're going to be happy you have. You know, you'll still be able to connect with your old friends. You'll still be able to get the food that you've always wanted. And, of course, as Denor pointed out, the Wi-Fi is better. But now let's talk about the different experiences that commuter students, traditional students, and first-gen students experience after coming home after their first semester or their first year in college. And when we talk about commuter students, we mean... Yeah, you're still living with your parents, but you're not in the house much. You're at campus most of the time, right? You're at campus, you're studying, you're in class, you're going to various campus events, right? Your life really doesn't center at home anymore. It centers on the campus. If you're a traditional student, that means you went away to school and you lived in the dorms, as we've already talked about. You know, and that means that your life is even more campus-centered than your commuter student friends. And then, of course, first-generation students have their own specific stuff that regular commuter students and trad students whose parents also went to college at one point, first-generation students experience some extra stuff that belongs specifically to them, the ones whose parents didn't go to college and really don't understand why do you want to do this college thing. So let's talk about commuter students first. For commuter students, time considerations are a huge thing. You've got to take care of your brother or your sister while you're attending college. You've got to worry about parking on campus. I know that on my campus, parking is extremely limited. And so you've got to get there sometimes hours early just to make sure you have a spot by the time you need to be in class. You've had a set schedule in college. You've kind of gotten used to when you've got to leave the house and when you get back. Your classes are over and now you're home all the time. And now you've got to transition for the day from you as a student to you as that family member, and you've got to mesh your rhythm in with what your family is doing. When you're at school, you are a lot more independent. You've got more control over your time, and you are able to tell your family, hey, I can't do something this week because I've got to study for two tests that are coming up on Friday. And odds are your parents, if nothing else, are going to understand that tests are a very stressful thing, they're part of the whole student experience, and they're probably going to be pretty forgiving and back off. But when you're at home, your parents might say, well, look, you don't have to worry about tests now. You can do this for the family. 
do these nine things with us. You don't have to think about school because you're not at school. And if you're a student, you're in student mode a lot more than just when you're on campus. So that seems to be the big thing for commuter students, the, you know, the time considerations and having to move with what your family's rhythms are when you're not actually actively on campus. It's navigating two different roles with two different sets of expectations, right? You as a student have the expectation of here's what I need to do to get the grades I want and here's how I see this going. And your family may acknowledge that, but they also see you first and foremost as their kid and the expectations are going to be family-centered. So traditional students are the ones that get a lot of advice about this. And I will grant you, trad students often have a harder time transitioning back into their families when they come home from school than commuter students did, if only because commuter students, even though their families might not be terribly comfortable with how they've changed, they were there while it was happening. Okay, they did see it at least a little bit. They saw it at the dinner table or they saw it, you know, on Saturday, on the Saturday barbecue or whatever was going on in your family. You were still there. You were still participating. You just kind of had to really draw a sharp line between my time and family time. Traditional students, on the other hand, it's almost like they were in a time capsule for a year, or at least their parents think they were. Their parents expect them to come back and be exactly the same person that, like I said, that they dropped off in August in front of their dorm room in another state. And now you've come back home and your family expects you to still be that brand new high school graduate who just started college and they're really not prepared for the shifts that happened in your life. They are not prepared for you to come back. Let's say that you were raised in a fairly conservative state and you come back and you're a flaming liberal. They're not going to cope well with that. Okay. Let's say that you were raised in a meat and potatoes family, but while you were on campus, you discovered veganism. That might not go over too well with your dad who runs a cattle farm, right? And so when you come back from school, your parents mainly, but also your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins, your grandparents, they may say, who is this space alien that has come in and they're wearing Michael's face or they look like Linda, but they don't sound like Linda and they don't act like Linda and they don't talk like Michael and they don't think like Michael. You know, what did you do with our child? And so the first big issue there that's going to come up is that your role is no longer the same because in your family, your role might've been to be the oldest child or to be the middle kid or to be, you know, the clown, but you've been living more and more like an independent adult in the dorms. You've had to manage your own time. You've had to manage your own laundry, even though you might be bringing back a big sack of dirty laundry and hoping mom will do it. Guess what? Mom finally decided she didn't need to do your laundry. So you might be doing your own laundry, okay? But you will have been doing it for at least the last semester or the last year. And so you come back home and you are saying, you know, I've got my own life. You know, I'm going to go out with my friends and don't wait up because I'm probably not going to be home before about two in the morning. And your parents might come back with, no, 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 no. You have a curfew. <laughs> I haven't had a curfew in a year. And you really expect me to adhere to your curfew now? Now, does this mean you should have no curfew? No. You do live in their house. You do have to live by their rules. But you might need to negotiate the curfew so that they stop insisting that you're home by 10 because that may not be reasonable anymore. And so one of the things that's going to happen is You've been an independent adult for the last six months to a year, but your parents still treat you like a child because 
that's all they know how to do. Now I will say this, I'm going to put a little plug for one of my businesses here. I do have an online class available for parents who are struggling with this. So if your mom and dad really are not coping with the fact that you are an adult now, point in my direction. Okay, there's a class that I've created on a website called The Empty Nest School. And it is basically a class to help parents make this adjustment from being the parents of a child to being the parents of an adult. Now, related to what Adam just said, when you're living on campus, you're living a lot more independently. Your folks may or may not be helping you out financially, but on a day-to-day -day level, you are the one responsible for your own schedule. It's up to you to wake up and tend to go to class. It's up to you to study for your exams, to take care of the work you need to do. When you're home, and if your parents still think that you're in high school, they may try telling you what to do on their time rather than yours. And like we said, this is related to that role change. You're growing, you're maturing because you're in a new environment. You're making mistakes, which is part of the learning game. And your parents may try and protect you from those by telling you what to do and imposing their deadlines. But adulting is full of mistakes. Even parents make mistakes. And treating a college student like they're in high school is a big mistake a lot of parents make because it's hard to accept that the person they knew is growing into someone they still know and love, but they're different now. It's an adjustment for both sides. Another thing that folks who have come back to their home after being a traditional student, you know, when they're there for winter break or summer break, is you're going to come back with a lot of plans for what you want to do while you're home. Okay. One of those plans might be, I want to have mom's uh, grilled cheese and tomato soup at least four days in a row, right? You want to do that. But you might also, if you live in this area that Denora and I are living in, in Southern California, you might say, I'm going to go to Disneyland with my friends, and then I'm going to go to Disneyland with my family, and then I'm going to go to Six Flags Magic Mountain, and then I've got to get to Knott's Berry Farm. Oh, and I absolutely have to get to the music festival that happens over in the, you know, the Glen Ivy Hot Springs area. And so you'll have a bunch of, like, big ticket items that you want to do. Maybe there's a restaurant that your family always went to for a celebration, and you're determined to make sure that you go there. But winter break is only about three weeks long. <laughs> and trying to cram all that in along with, for example, during winter break, you also have Christmas for most folks. Or, you know, you also have the New Year's celebration for most folks, right? And you may wear yourself out trying to do all the things. And there may not be time to do all the things. So be prepared to get some serious FOMO. You know, that fear of missing out thing, it's not pretend. It is a real thing. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, you might want to take a look at our episode 116 is all about FOMO. It is all about dealing with that fear of missing out. Let's not pretend that you also need to catch up on rest. That's one of the things you're going to overlook in doing all these big ticket items, but you're going to be exhausted. You need that rest because you're coming home for a break, generally either right before finals, if it's Thanksgiving or right after finals. And you put in a lot of stress and a lot of time getting ready for them. And that can be really tough. That's one thing that the articles aimed at parents of returning college students said, expect your student to sleep for the first three days. Don't expect to see them. They're going to be catching up on all the sleep that they've missed for four months.
So don't try to wake them up. Just let them sleep. And yeah, be prepared for that to happen where you get home and suddenly it's like, I don't have to have any tests. I don't have to go anywhere. And the bed is calling my name. And not only is the bed calling your name, it's your bed, not the dorm bed. It has your pillows and it has your blankets and it has maybe even your stuffed animals. And are you going to curl up in bed and go, yes, of course you are, because you haven't slept in six months. And a way to think about the FOMO, instead of worrying about the stuff you don't get to do, there's a phrase that, uh, in Hebrew at least, that says, give yourself the taste of wanting a little more. So maybe you're not going to go to Disneyland two or three or four times, but you might go once and say, okay, I got to check this part of the park out, and in my next break, I'm going to go with friends, and we're going to go to this part of the park. If you like hiking, find a few trails but also give yourself a few that you're going to save for that next time you're home, because there's probably is going to be a next time that you're back. And if there is, you want to be able to think of stuff to do for that next time. So don't think of it as fear of missing out. Look at it as anticipation for things to look forward to for the next break. We mentioned before that you get to choose which of your friends you spend time with. Now, if you've lived in a dorm, odds are you've got a lot of friends in the dorm. Odds are you've got a lot of friends in your classes. And depending on the school you go to, they may be from very different areas compared to where you live. And so that means that for traditional students, when they go back home, a large part of their support network and their friend network isn't available to hang out in person. And at the same time, you may have replaced some of your old high school friends, not the best friends, but some of the people you knew but weren't especially close to with these friends from college. And now you're not sure who to spend your time with because you're not especially close to the people you knew from high school and the people you are close to physically, you're not able to hang out with. And I'll also say this about the college friends. You know, many of us, at least those of us who are older, you know, like your Gen Xer um, teachers, we may have 500 people on our Facebook friends list. And many of those were people that we went to college with 15 or 20 years ago. Do we spend time with them? No. And some of those may have been people we were in high school with 30 or 35 years ago. And do we spend time with them? No. So this is one of those things where it's kind of a learning experience too, where you suddenly realize, you know, Tommy, my next door neighbor friend who was always my friend because we were next door neighbors, is kind of a jerk. <laughs> And he's not really interested in anything that that I'm interested in, and and he's kind of a jerk. And I'd much rather spend time with my friend Brad, you know, who was my roommate back at college. You know, I I just maybe moving away from my hometown is going to be a thing that I have to think about now. This is one of those things that prompts that, that prompts the thought of maybe coming back to my hometown after I get my degree isn't what I'm going to do, and that could be a scary thing to think about. But when you realize that your college friends aren't local and you'd like to be where they are and your local friends have grown away from you and they're really not friends anymore. They're just people whose names you know and you know you had a few classes with them in high school. And maybe that's just – They're acquaintances, friendly or otherwise. Yeah, but they're not really friends anymore, right? And following on from that, you might find after a week or two at home after you've you know had all of the grilled cheese sandwiches and all the tomato soup and you've slept for 72 hours in your own bed and you know and you've gone to the 12 places that you wanted to go then you might begin to realize you kind of miss being at school 
we're not saying that you're going to be missing the tests or the homework, but you're missing school because it offers you some structure that you have control over. It offers you a social life that actually doesn't involve your parents at all. Think about how your high school social life still involved your parents, right? But once you're on campus, you're going to have friends that your parents have never met and may never meet. So your social life is your own social life. And you might miss that. You'll miss the restaurants that are near your campus if you were eating out because that food is also part of your new routine. You know, I can imagine a student coming out here to L.A. and going to, well, let's say, UCLA, and they're from Connecticut. And then they go back to Connecticut. There's no In-N-Out Burger in Connecticut. And maybe they got really used to going and having a double-double after class. And now they're like, I'm really jonesing for a double-double. I'm going to have to live in L.A. when I'm done. There's no way that I can come back to Connecticut, right? So those things that you miss at school, those are part of your new life. Those are part of who you are now. They're part of your routine. And anytime we have our routines disrupted, it can cause some problems. And so be prepared to miss school. Be prepared to miss your friends at school. Heck, be prepared to miss your favorite professors at school. You know, maybe you had a professor who you would just drop into their office hours and shoot the breeze and talk about life and talk about study and talk about stuff. And you learned a lot from them and you like them. That's normal. It's normal to miss that stuff. You start feeling like you're a guest in your parents' home. You don't feel like this is your place. And again, this goes back a lot to the changing roles because at home, you might feel like you're being pigeonholed into who you were as a child. I know that there are times where I'll go back home and I still feel like I'm in high school where I'm with my parents and I love my folks. I love my brother, but damned if I don't feel like they don't see me like I was in high school. And it's not a fair thing. I don't even think it's a conscious thing. I think just at some point we kind of freeze who we know or what we know about people and we can either take in new information really well or struggle with it. And different people take in different information differently. And that affects, unfortunately, how people interact with one another, right? How you're going to be with your parents depends on how willing and how easy they are with accepting your new roles compared to the roles of who you were when you were in high school. And for some folks, this can actually be more difficult. First-gen students report often that this is really hard because their parents not only still see them as the high school student they were, but they really don't adjust well to what college does to your brain and what college does to your outlook, what it does to your personality, what it does to your you, to yourself, to who you are, right? You might have your mom saying, you never thought like this when you were in high school. What happened to you in that in that college, right? And you might not even be able to explain it, but still saying, well, mom, okay, I know that this is how you raised me, but I really get uncomfortable when you say this term or that term because those are racist terms. They're not racist. That's just the way that we talk here. Well, okay, but I can't handle you saying those things anymore because of what I've learned. Well, I hate your school. Be prepared for that. Your parents may say that they hate the school changing you, okay? And you might find that you disagree with your parents' politics as you learn more, as you come into contact with more people from more different backgrounds on campus, especially if you came from a small town or a really insular suburb, okay? If you came from a place where everyone was pretty much exactly like you and your parents, and then you've gone to a school where there's lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, your eyes will have been opened. And then when you come back, you won't be the same person. 
And that's going to bother your parents because, as Denor said, you know, they've got this time capsule view of who you are. And that time capsule ends on the day that you walked across the stage in high school and got your diploma. And so everything since then is kind of foreign to them. It's kind of confusing to them. It's alien to them. And if your parents don't do well at adjusting, you know, be aware this may create some real uncomfortable places for you. The sociologist Emil Durkheim described this idea of a collective conscience, which is the shared values, the shared morals of a group. Well, if you come from a small town or if you've got a super tight-knit family growing up, of course you're going to have the same shared values and the same shared morals because that's what you're surrounded with. But in college, all of a sudden you've got people coming from all over with various understandings of the world. And that means that there isn't that shared collective conscience. There isn't that shared group morality. Now you're learning about different moralities and you're trying to integrate what you're learning at college and your growth as an adult to your home environment when you're growing up as a kid. In college, you are forced into being independent because if you are grade motivated and you don't attend your classes, your grades go down and that goes against your goal. But on some level, you get to discipline yourself. That is a skill that college develops. You learn how to manage your time. And for help with that, listen to our episodes 12 through 16. But when you're at home, maybe your parents try to force you to be dependent on their schedule, on their demands. They give you curfews. They haven't adjusted the rules since you graduated high school, so you are still expected home by 10 or by midnight, even though if you're in the dorms and you're hanging out at a friend's place, you're not getting back to your place till 1 or 1.30 in the morning. One of the things that you learn, too, is that a lot of the stuff that was important in high school, <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Nobody cares about that winning pass in that one football game, and nobody cares about the you know the the band performance that won an award. Nobody cares about that stuff anymore. And so, if you decide to get together with your local friends who did not go to college, you may find you don't have a lot in common with those folks anymore. You may find that they have very different goals from you. They may think your goals are stupid, or that you are you know trying to think you're better than us, that's something that a lot of college students find, is that their local friends that they hung out with in high school say, what, are you trying to be better than us? Well, actually, sadly, yeah, you are. Because that's what you're doing by going to college, is bettering yourself. And they may be offended that you are not staying in the same normative box that they've always lived in. They may be jealous that you got to go away to college or that you got to go to college and they didn't. Okay. And so, you know, when you're in college with your college friends, you are sharing at least one important goal, which is to get the degree. And probably most of your college friends and classmates are also really invested in learning stuff in making themselves, you know, not necessarily smarter or more intelligent, but more knowledgeable. They understand more, they get more, they can discuss more. And once again, if you're coming from a small town or a community where everybody is very similar, you are breaking the mold. You are rocking the boat, and that's going to be uncomfortable. You might experience big fish in a little pond syndrome. If you were amazing in high school, you're valedictorian, you're a star athlete, you're extraordinarily popular, 
now you're going to a university with 10 times or 20 times or 50 times the number of people that were uh, on your high school campus. And now you're no longer the big fish in a little pond. You might be a medium fish in a bigger lake or a big river. You might be a small fish in a big ocean because you've got a new comparison group. You're not judging yourself against people you knew in high school anymore. You're judging yourself against people who are just like you, extremely motivated, extremely hardworking. We're gonna say extremely intelligent. We're going to say extremely competent. Now you're competing against people that are more like you. And that means that you might judge yourself harshly when you don't get that same breaking the curve effect that you had in high school. You're no longer being the trendsetter you're part of that trend. And the thing about that when you come home is that you're really going to feel the effects. You have been in college, you have now been in the big pond, and you are no longer the big fish. And you are competing with people and, and interacting with people who are at your level and sometimes above it. And then you come back home. And nobody at home understands what that's like. You know, you may have friends who were the big fish in a different area in school. Like maybe, you know, maybe you were the big fish when it came to dramatic performance. You know, you were always the star of every drama show. And then in your first semester or first year in a theater major, you didn't get cast in anything. Okay? You were given the crew parts. Your job was to move stage pieces off and on the stage. And you didn't get to act at all. And you come back home, and the guy who was the big star on the football field is still catching beers off of that one perfect run that he made in that one championship game at the end of the semester in fall, right before you graduated. Do you have anything in common with him anymore? No, because you've actually learned that you aren't the big fish in the small pond anymore. Maybe you are still the big fish in the small pond here at home, but there's no one who can talk with you on the level that you've learned to talk and interact and learn and discuss things. You know, it's kind of difficult to discuss Camus from your philosophy class with people who haven't read a book since high school. So that's what trad students often face a lot of times. And then both commuter and trad students, you're also going to face, again, we've talked about this, the issue of your family role changing because your family has not adjusted to you being a college student. And so there are still family demands or expectations that just don't adjust to how you handle life now. And again, you're independent, but your parents still see you as that high school kid that they dropped off in August. And so be prepared for that as well. Now, when it comes to first-generation students, there are a few issues that first-gen students specifically mention about coming back to college, especially if they did it the trad way, where they went away to college and now they're coming home and they haven't been home for the last semester or year. And the huge one? is imposter syndrome. And that's a problem I know I've faced. I know many of my students have faced because there may be conflicting identities at home. There may be a lot of pride. Your parents might say, look, you are the first person in our family to go to college, but then you come back home and you're, you think you're better than us just because you went away. And that's tough because you value your family or most, I should say most people value their family. And to get that negative reaction to something that they were initially positive about, 
can be really tough. I know a different form of imposter syndrome can be, oh my God, these people are so smart. What the hell am I doing here? I went through that badly uh, in graduate school. I went through it in undergrad because you're sitting in, in these classes and people sound like they know what they're talking about. And, it, and you don't realize that, hey, other people are just as nervous as you might be, or that the people who know what they're talking about, especially if we're looking at graduate school, might know what they're talking about because they've been in grad school a year longer than you or two years longer than you. So they've gone through the experience that you're just starting. It's hard to see that. We assume that the people who are smart or we think are smart are super smart and they've always been that way. We assume that it's a permanent thing. And we assume that when they're, when others are super confident that they've never faced any doubts about what we're facing doubts about. And the other way that I've seen imposter syndrome show up in many of my first-gen students is what Denor was saying about how they're in school and they're doing well, or maybe they're not doing so well. You know, they might be getting C's and feeling like C's or F's. In our episode 21, we talked about specifically what do grades mean in college? And some of them are thinking, you know, I'm only getting C's and I was a straight-A student in high school. Yes, but college work is much more demanding and C's mean competency. C's mean that you are passing the class. And then you get home and your parents say, I don't like your report card. You know, you got all A's, you know, every, every year in high school. What is wrong? Well, what's wrong is that you've been away in college and there's a lot to adjust to. And a lot of parents need, I really wish that they would make parents aware that expecting your student who was 4.0 in high school to still be 4.0 in college is really kind of unrealistic and unfair. Okay. And so there's also that form of imposter syndrome where, well, I thought you were so smart. Okay. You are so smart. And the fact that you're getting C's in college is an indicator that you're doing pretty well. But a lot of people don't see it that way. They don't view anything less than perfect as good enough. So then another thing about this is that, and I mentioned this earlier too, you're probably going to lose some friends. Okay, your old friends are going to be replaced by new friends. And school is now your main thing, and it will be until you graduate. And so you're going to talk about it a lot because it's one of the main things that you are doing. It's one of the main things you're interested in. And just because the semester is over does not mean school is over, right? You've still got another three or four years of school ahead of you. You've still got a lot more classes ahead of you. And probably you're feeling like, I got to at least stay somewhat in a school mindset. I can't like just let go and pretend I'm in high school again, even if I'm hanging out with my old friends from high school. And what you might find is that your best friend from high school has nothing in common with you anymore because you're no longer interested in the things that you two were interested in in high school. Or here's something else. They might have moved in a different direction where some of the stuff that you were counting on them still being interested in. And they're like, oh, that high school stuff. No, I don't do that anymore because they've moved on. And so you're going to talk about school a lot, but family and old friends just may not be able to connect with you on anything you're talking about. And that can also be difficult. And this happens especially with first-gen students because kids who have already, you know, whose parents went to college, they probably have some friends who are also college students. Or, you know, at least, you know, you come back and you went to, let's say, Brandeis. 
and a friend of yours went to Rutgers and another friend went to New York University and yet another one ended up at San Francisco State. And so when you're all back at home and you're going to the local, you know, uh, uh, town Christmas festival, the four of you will have things to talk about because you're all college students together, even if you didn't all go to the same college where the six or seven friends that the four of you had who haven't left, who haven't gone to college, who are still in a high school mindset, you might find you don't have anything in common with them anymore. And you've got to be prepared for that. And what Adam's really getting at is it's tough to reminisce constantly. It gets boring after a while. There's only so many times that you can say, remember when and fully enjoy it because you're creating new memories. You're creating new experiences for yourselves. And what that means is you can bond over creating these new experiences and say, oh man, what did you get to do? Here's you know something that I got to do. Here's what being in the play was like. Or Adam mentioned, what if you're in the crew and you don't get to act and you really wanted to, you can still bond over that experience and say, well, it sucked, but we're a tight-knit crew. We had a lot of fun doing this. You're able to connect about these new experiences you're creating and that's fresh, that's fun. It's not always what you did last year or two years ago or three years ago, because and not just reminiscing allows you to grow more into an adult and away from who you were in high school. And I think a lot of people who do attend college want that. But when you're a first gen student, that may be tough because you, by definition, don't have family who's done that. And so that means that you don't have that one of the big bases of support that traditional students have had. So when I first went to college, I was living at home with my parents and I was just, I had just turned 17 and I really did not know how to negotiate my needs with my family. So I was still expected to do all the same things I had been doing when I was in high school, even though I had a full class schedule, which was not the same every day. And my family, even though I was not a first gen student, okay, both my parents had master's degrees, but they did not adjust well to me being in college and how much that disrupted the rhythms of how we did family and how we did home life. And as a result, although this wasn't the only reason, I ended up dropping out of college after about three semesters and I just went and got a job. And then I got to deal with the disappointment that they had of me not finishing college. So, you know, I couldn't win. When I went back to school in my late 20s, I no longer really had to maneuver around my family in that way because I was living independently. I'd had a job for 10 years. But... I then had to make sure that I arranged my life so that school was the priority. And even as an independent adult, my parents sometimes still tried to fit me back into the, but you're our kid box. Oh, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in San Jose, uh, but I went to school in different areas. I went to Seattle for my first two years of undergrad. I was in the Davis area, which is near Sacramento, a few hours north of San Jose. Uh, my last years of undergrad, I was across the country in Connecticut for my master's degree. And then uh, I earned my PhD in the Southern California desert in Riverside. And I learned pretty quickly that no matter where I went to school, the friends I, who went to college and I, we all were dealing with different adjustments. The friends who were in law school might not have known what it's like to be in a PhD program, but we sure as hell knew what it's like to be in a stressful school environment. The friends who went to college as undergrads and I, even if we weren't going to the same school, we could at least talk about, hey, what's it like going to school at Berkeley? What's it like going to school at San Jose State? What's it like going to school at San Diego State? 
I had people going to school in different parts of the country. And so no matter where we went, we had that shared, oh man, this is new and this is so cool kind of experience because that's a lot of college. That's part of the joy when you get to go, if you're able to enjoy it is it's new, whether it's a new environment, whether it's new material, new knowledge, new skills, there's a level of newness that keeps college on some level fun. And we hope that it stays fun. I know that Adam and I talked about that in the beginning of this podcast series in our very first episode about making learning fun. That newness keeps things fresh. It keeps things fun. And I know when I went back home for breaks, I felt so bored because home wasn't new. I knew home. There are a lot of comfort zones at home, but it wasn't new. Seattle, that was new to me. That was an adventure. And now I'm in Seattle. I'm getting to meet people from all over the US. I'm meeting people from all over the world, whether they're my classmates or my teachers. And I will say, I mentioned imposter syndrome. I don't remember it too vividly as an undergrad, but that's more because I remember how fiercely I felt it in graduate school. And so it doesn't mean that I didn't go through it. It just means that what I went through for both my master's and my PhD was a lot worse. I constantly wondered if I was out of my league, uh, given how advanced my classmates were. I remember being intimidated by someone in my first class who said that they came in with two master's degrees. And I didn't think, oh man, well, if, they're, if they've got two master's degrees, why are they going for a third? I looked at it as, oh man, they are so good at school and I don't know shit compared to them. Um, at home, I sometimes still get asked, why did I get a PhD in sociology instead of chemistry? And it's because people fascinate me in the way chemicals and molecules don't. Now, now my dad, my dad is a chemist. He can explain chemistry and make it really interesting. Not something that has appealed to me. And so on the one hand, there's the, oh man, you got a PhD. That's fantastic. On the other hand, why sociology? Because there's no money in it. Um, is a different type of imposter syndrome that I now get from my folks. Uh, but it's because I know that I view the world a little differently or very differently from my folks. I look at it as if I'm going to have to work and I work a lot, then I want to do something that I'm genuinely passionate about and curious about. Whereas my folks say, no, you do whatever works available for that paycheck and then you enjoy the rest of your life. And that's because I think they grew up initially, even though it's changed. They grew up with the understanding that the boss doesn't call you at home, even though I know both of my folks did a lot of work for their work at home. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because something just came together in my head for my family. So I mentioned that both my parents have master's degrees. Both their master's degrees are in music. My mother did not get her master's degree until after both her parents had died because they were working class white people who did not see the value of anything college related for women specifically and so her dad worked in in fact both of my grandfathers worked in oil and gas and so her dad you know thought that her job should be to find a guy and get married and then you know basically be a housewife and her mother also felt that way so my mom suffered a fair amount of imposter syndrome even getting a bachelor's degree never mind a master's 
And she didn't go back to school to get her bachelor's degree because she dropped out of college to marry my dad in the 60s. And then she went back to school in the 80s to get first her bachelor's in music and then her master's in music. And only her mom was alive at that point. But she got a fair amount of flack, you know, basically being told, this is a useless degree. Why would you bother? Well, because my mom wanted to teach music. That's what she was good at. My dad, in the same way, his dad, just like your dad, Denor, was a chemist. And my grandfather looked down on the humanities a lot. Like, a lot. Like, he thought that it was just a waste of everybody's time. You know, people should all do the hard sciences. That's the only real work, right? And so he demanded that my father publish at least one thing in chemistry before he would allow my father to do something as, you know, as low and as, as base and as, you know, ridiculous as going for a music degree. And so my dad developed something called uh, anodized magnesium. And if you've ever heard of mag wheels, that was my dad's invention. And he did it to get my grandfather off his back so that he could point to that and say, you wanted me to do real work. I got this published. Now leave me alone. My dad got his master's degree about five years before he died because he basically just kept going to school one class at a time until he'd finished his master's. But he got his bachelor's, I think, in 1972 or 1970 when I was a baby. And so now here's the interesting thing. These two people raised by people who said you have to be in STEM. And if you're not in STEM, then you're not good enough. They insisted on me getting a degree in music. I had no interest in getting a degree in music because as soon as I did music for work, it stopped being fun. And I said, I don't want to do this. And that was what really contributed to me dropping out of college because I'd spent three semesters trying to succeed in music the way my parents wanted me to succeed in music. And then I finally had to say, no, I'm not doing this. And when I went back to school, they had a similar reaction to your parents, you know, about why sociology? And I said, because people are interesting. And they're all, yes, but your talent is in music. And I'm all, I haven't played the piano in 10 years. I haven't sung for anything other than fun in 10 years. And I don't want to be you. And they didn't want to hear that. So even though I was in my 30s when I went back to school to get my degrees, and I tell my students, you know, I went back to school at 29, and then suddenly I was 41, and I had a PhD, and I'm still not sure how that happened. You know, but even then, my parents are disappointed in me to some extent because my PhD wasn't in the, the field that they wanted it to be in. So be prepared for that, too, that if you changed your major, your parents might get really up in arms about that when you come back, to, when you come back home after a year on campus. And a quick thought is the way you phrase it, your talent is in music. You have multiple talents, and talents are there. It's up to whether they are recognized and developed that lets them flourish or not. And when parents are stuck in the this is who you are and who you've always been mentality, it's hard to let those new talents shine the way they should. So that's what we have for you in episode 134. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Android, but please note we have decided to no longer publish this podcast to Spotify. So if you found it on Spotify, you might want to shift to Apple Podcasts or Android because we're going to be doing our best to pull this from Spotify soon. We're hosted on Blueberry.com, and we'd really appreciate it if you could write us a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next time for episode 135, when Adam and I will talk about common academic mistakes many first-year students make.
You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.